Howdy, everybody. Welcome to Two Minutes and Beyond, the podcast where we review the Toy Story movies two minutes at a time. I'm Macy, and this is Bianca. Howdy. How's it going? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm fantastic now that I got water. (laughs) (laughs) So in this episode, we're going to be talking about minutes one and two of the first Toy Story movie. We're finally getting into the actual movie instead of Yay! just talking about ourselves. <laughs> I'm very excited. I mean, I know minute one, half of it, if not more than half of it, is just the Disney logo, but mm-hmm. I'm excited that we're finally starting this. Yes. Don't worry, though. I've got a lot to say about the Disney logo and the (laughs) Pixar logo. I'm not joking. (laughs) Before we get started, though, we wanted to mention a couple of other podcasts. One is uh, the podcast Toy Story Minute, which is very similar in concept to this podcast. We did not realize that it existed until a month or two ago. And I decided to search and see if there were any uh, other Toy Story podcasts. They they review the Toy Story movies one minute at a time. And we just wanted to say, one, we were not trying, we're not trying to copy them at all or compete with them. Uh, From what little we've both listened to, it, it seems to be a pretty good show. And if you want more Toy Story podcasts, go check them out. I feel like we should put their like link in the little notes section so that people can check them out because I the few episodes that I heard were pretty good and I did enjoy it and I think other people like if they want more information besides what we're giving them that would be a good resource material for them. Yes. Plus we figured there's there's enough room out there for two podcasts going a uh, crazy amount into detail on the Toy Story movies, and we're kind of Who doing a different like details. <laughs> and we're kind of doing a little bit of a different thing anyway, since we're doing two minutes instead of just one, and we're giving our own opinions. And I really and think that's I, like something that people like watching, especially like if you see on YouTube how everybody does different reviews of the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're going to be like oh, I can't do it because somebody else has already done it. I mean, a lot of people do a review for the same thing, so I really don't see a problem with it. Yes. So go check out Toy Story Minute. And the second podcast I wanted to mention was the podcast that uh, inspired the idea for this podcast, and that is Moving Right Along uh, by... Ryan and Anthony from the Muppet fan site, Tough Pigs. And in that podcast, they review the Muppet movies two minutes at a time. And that is one of my absolute favorite podcasts ever. And I got to thinking it would be fun to do a Toy Story podcast with a similar with a similar concept of reviewing it two minutes at a time. So, so shout out to Ryan and Anthony from that podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. We're finally living our dream. <laughs> yes. So, before we jump into 
the actual movie, I wanted to talk uh, about some some facts about this movie and a little bit about the box office numbers and awards that it's won and a little just a little bit of the history behind this movie. Toy Story was originally released on November 22nd, 1995, according to Box Office Mojo and a different website called thenumbers.com. In its original release, Toy Story made $244,651,588. On its opening weekend, it was the number one at the box office, and it made $29,140,617 domestically. It was the number three top grossing movie of 1995 after Batman Forever and Apollo 13 and before Pocahontas, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, and Casper. And I specifically wanted to mention Casper because a Casper doll was part of what inspired John Lasseter to make this a movie about toys in the first place was his Casper doll that he had as a kid. So I thought that was that was interesting that the Toy Story movie came out around the same time uh, as a Casper movie. Well, that is really interesting. I really liked the movie Casper. Um, I remember actually all of those movies. <laughs> I was five watching Ace Ventura. That's probably not a good thing. Um, <laughs> but I do remember seeing Casper, and I really liked that movie. Uh, of course, Toy Story, when I was five, I went to go see it, and that began the obsession. <laughs> And, you know, I, those were some good times. I really liked those movies. They don't make movies like that anymore. So some sources list this movie as the number one. I think like if you Google, like, what was the top grossing movie of 1995, it'll say it was Toy Story. But that's only if you take into account all the money it's made in, like, re-releases. Oh, okay. It was, yeah, it was released, uh... Re-released in 2009 and again in uh, 2020. And including those releases, it's made $394,436,586 in total. Dang, that's a lot of money. Yeah, although I did look up the box office of Toy Story 4, and that was like over a billion dollars. Oh my gosh. I know. I didn't think it made that much money. Like for me, I'm not big on looking up how much money a movie grosses, but that's really interesting. That's like, I didn't realize how much money it actually brought in. That's crazy. Yeah, especially for like the very first computer animated movie. That's really, those numbers are really impressive. Yeah, because they didn't even know how it was going to be, like if people would like it, if people would even be interested to go see something like that. That That's really cool. Yeah. So it was a big success financially. It was nominated for four Academy Awards for Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Musical or Comedy Score, Best Original Song for You've Got a Friend in Me, and then John Laster was nominated for a Special Achievement Award um, for it being the first computer animated film. 
And out of those four, it only won special achievement. Oh, wow. Which I feel like, especially for a best original song, I was Toy Story say, got they snubbed. Should've, they should have won that for sure because that song, You Got a Friend in Me, is one of my favorite songs. I have it on my Spotify favorites. Whenever it comes on at work, you better believe I'm raising the volume. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's sad that Randy Newman didn't win any Oscars for any of his Pixar songs until Monsters, Inc., Oh, I love the Monsters, Inc. soundtrack. That's like one of my favorite soundtracks. It's so good. (laughs) It is. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad he won an Oscar for that because I would have gone knocking on some doors. Yeah. (laughs) But it was also nominated for nine Annie Awards and won eight out of the nine. Oh, And this is unbelievable to me but the one nomination that it lost was for best individual achievement in voice acting for tom hanks oh my gosh it won all other all the eight other awards and lost for tom hanks i bet they feel pretty silly now (laughs) not (laughs) letting that one go through also because dang that's that's kind of messed up, man. I know. I'm like, how? I don't understand. I would like to know who won. In fact, I should have looked that up, but I didn't. Maybe it's better we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was added to the U.S. Library of Congress's National Film Registry in 2005. It placed 44 in the Hollywood Reporter's Hollywood's 100 Favorite Films poll. It placed 99 in Empire Magazine's survey survey of the 500 greatest movies, uh, placed 101 in IMDb's user-generated list of the best films ever made, placed 95 in Rotten Tomatoes' list of the best-reviewed films ever made. It is 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has a score of 95 on Metacritic. Hmm. I would be mad if there was, like, any less percentages on those i'd be like man who is not watching toy story or who's just is this sid is sid the one that (laughs) downvoted it (laughs) it's sid or like i don't know zerg or someone al Al, (laughs) you know i wouldn't doubt it lotso (laughs) (laughs) gabby gabby (laughs) i don't give them computers man just Keep all those electronics away from them because they, they're downvoting a really good movie. <laughs> um, I wanted to read a little bit about the history of this movie really briefly. I'm going to be reading a little bit from a book that I have called Toy Story, The Art and Making of the Animated Film. And it's it was released in... Uh, 1995 along with the movie and was written by or put together by John Lasseter and Steve Daly and it's sort of the precursor to like the those art of books that Pixar and Disney put out now except um it's it's different it's huge and I don't mean it that it like has a lot of pages I mean it's like 16 inches tall oh my gosh why is the book so big 
I don't know. I can show it to you on our camera. I mean, listeners can't see it, but it's That's pretty a large big. book. Yeah. And it's got this really neat cover that has like, I don't know what it's called, that like 3D effect where if you turn, turn oh, it a little okay, bit. Yeah, like the, the little looks, holographic cards almost. Yeah, the image looks like it's moving. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, and I I think it's still pretty easy to find a used copy of it online if anyone if anyone would like to have a copy for themselves. Because I know I'm going to be referring to this book quite a bit over the course of at least this season of the podcast. So on page six, it says, We were aiming to make a feature right from the beginning, says Pixar president Edwin Catmull, who, along with Lasseter, producer Ralph Guggenheim, supervising technical director Bill Reeves, and their team of graphics experts, Graphics experts left Lucasfilm and together with Steve Jobs formed Pixar in 1986. Uh, and a little later on, it says, Around that time, Pixar began pursuing its dream in earnest. Walt Disney feature animation had started to expand into forms of animation beyond the traditional two-dimensional cell processes it had already perfected. And it goes on to talk about... Um, like the first part of that was when they worked with Tim Burton to create Nightmare Before Christmas using stop motion and how in Beauty and the Beast they used com computer animation uh, to to create some of the backgrounds and animation in some scenes. And it goes on to say in another page, it says, we at Disney, that is, know how to actually get this stuff put together in 75 minutes of film, says Thomas Schumacher, who was the feature animation senior vice president at Disney. He said, we know how to track a movie, make a movie, look at it, edit it, cut sound effects, cut music, and review it. These are things Pixar had never done. In many ways, they didn't know what they didn't know because no one had ever done this before. So basically, Disney was there. Um, Disney was there kind of guiding them along and teaching them how to actually make a movie. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need like a, a professional to not so much hold your hand, but lead you in the right direction. Because now look at Pixar. They're teams of like storyboard artists and the writers and you know, everybody that puts the actual story together before the animation begins, there mm -hmm. they do really good. I know a lot of people nowadays are like, oh, I wish, you know, to, um, Pixar would go back to the old stories like Toy Story and the first Monsters, Inc. and all of that. But I'm like, they're still doing really good. I like their movies that they're still making. They're not going down in quality. It's just... I think a lot of it has to play on the nostalgia factor. People mm -hmm. remember the movies when they were kids and they feel that that's, you know, they want that feeling again. But when you get older, you kind of lose that feeling. Yeah. It's uh, so a part of, part of this book. I won't, or part of uh, what I have written from, written down from the book. I won't, I won't read it, but essentially I was talking about, how 
they had no idea like how how do you even put together like a team to make an a computer animated movie how do you how how do you like figure out what you're doing along the way and like create a path to mm-hmm. having a completed film so while they have disney on one hand helping them in whatever ways they can with their experience in making movies, they're still also having to figure out this other aspect of it that no one else has ever done before. Right. Especially since the whole computer animation thing was brand new. Nobody knew. There's no senior officer right now because this is just coming out. So you're just there kind of frantically looking for people saying, Hey, you look like you're good at IT. Can you help us with our computer? <laughs> yeah, there was, there were no, there were no, like, this is the way you do this thing. And this is the way you do this other thing. They were figuring it out all on their own. I know that's, that's crazy. I would hate to have something start from the ground up and you're panicking, trying to figure it out because everything that I've done People already know it. I'm very thankful for that. (laughs) (laughs) So should we just jump in just talking about the actual two-minute clip that we're planning to talk about? Sure. Well, it's more like the one-minute, 10-second clip because (laughs) of the logos. True. But speaking of the logos, the version of... The Walt Disney Pictures logo that was originally used for Toy Story was actually a variant of the old white and blue Walt Disney Pictures logo that was used from 1990 to 2006. So, like, when you think of, like, watching those old, like, Disney VHS tapes. Yeah, and it had the blue background with the white logo. Yeah, with the white castle logo that was, like, kind of segmented and then yes yeah and then like the little i guess tinkerbell that goes over the top Mm -hmm. i I guess that's supposed to be tinkerbell it might just be a star i don't know and then it plays like when you wish upon a star Mm -hmm. except for in the original toy story opening they had their own little fanfare which i miss terribly yes that's part of what i was gonna talk about but the The version of the logo that was used in the original version of Toy Story was actually a variant on that white and blue Walt Disney Pictures logo. Because the castle was 3D. Oh. And I totally never realized or thought about that. I never noticed that. When I was little, I was just staring at the screen all excited. (laughs) Yeah, plus it had, instead of When You Wish Upon a Star, it had an original piece of music written by randy newman Mm -hmm. and that version of the logo was used in it was used in all the pixar films um from toy story to ratatouille up until 2007 okay except the exception uh was with the buzz lightyear of star command movie that one just used the default logo, I guess, because it wasn't 3D animated. Right. And it was mostly run by Disney. It was. Yeah. I mean, it was 
partly it's a Pixar, Pixar property. Mostly animated and done by Disney. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why they didn't use that. They figured, well, this is all on the Pixar movies, so we'll just go back to the original variant just to not confuse people. Mm-hmm. Which it doesn't matter. <laughs> but the logo on the version of the movie that we're watching is the 2006 version of the logo, which has, uh, which has since, uh, since 2006 been slightly modified a few times. It went from originally saying Walt Disney pictures to just saying Disney. And there's been like little small changes to like the look of the text. And Mm -hmm. they made like the lighting in the scene brighter, like around the castle and like the, the river in front of the castle. Right, yeah. After that, we move on to the classic Pixar logo, which was not in the original Toy Story. I do remember that because I remember as soon as the fun little fanfare would finish, it would go straight into the clouds and it would blend into Andy's wallpaper. Mm-hmm. And that was but my favorite. I- <laughs> I never realized this until I was looking into the Disney logo thing and I was looking up, there's a video on YouTube of, it's the opening of the Toy Story VHS tape and it shows the Disney logo and like the first couple seconds of the movie and I was like, wait a second, where's the Pixar <laughs> logo and Hopping Luxo? Because I never thought about it or realized that uh, the Pixar logo isn't there. It, it just goes straight into the movie. Yeah, and I remember that. I Those are fond memories. Those are really great <laughs> memories. I now just everything's like- ruined by commercialism and having to put your logo <laughs> in there. <laughs> I kind of wish that in modern versions of Toy Story, that e- even if they like kept the modern Disney logo that they would put that Randy Newman fanfare over it. Yes. And cut out the Pixar logo. Cause I really like that flow from the transition that musical fanfare into the, into the actual music of the movie. Yes. That was it so works great. so well. That's why I'm slightly offended with all of the new DVDs. They have the big old Walt Disney thing. Mm-hmm. They don't have the fanfare goes into Pixar Mm -hmm. 20 minutes later then you get into the movie so speaking of the Pixar logo according to the Pixar production logo page on Pixar wiki the animation on the logo was done by Pete Doctor oh really who directed well now he's the chief creative officer of Pixar he directed Soul and Monsters Inc and Inside Out uh, and he was an animator on Toy Story and worked on story and all kinds of things. But he animated the Pixar logo. Hmm. I never knew that. I'm learning so much today. Yes, and apparently that information, according to Pixar Wiki, apparently that information came from a tweet from Lee Unkridge from a few years ago. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I keep telling myself to just hop on Twitter and follow all these fun Pixar people. Do I do it? No, because I forget. 
So now we get into the actual movie finally. Not just Yay. not just the opening logos. We start on the classic clouds. And then it pans down over a bunch of buildings that Andy has made out of cardboard. And it stops on a wanted poster of one-eyed Bart drawn by Andy that says, 50 bazillion dollar reward. (laughs) (laughs) That's always been my favorite. That he is such an artist. And you can tell it's drawn by a child. It's just so not anatomically correct it's all scribbly it's in crayon he doesn't spell bazillion right the d in wanted is back or no wait i was gonna say the d is backwards but it's not never mind (laughs) isn't it the n i think there's a, a backwards letter i don't i don't see any but he's missing the I in or the first I in bazillion. Yes, he's and the S only has one line through it. Oh gosh, that's the way I do my S's. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like that's one thing. I think that's what sparked my desire to draw was seeing all of his drawings. Oh yeah, and I just went crazy after that. Well. Maybe not. I believe that I started drawing around three, somewhere around there, just scribbling the most wonderful scribbles I could possibly scribble. (laughs) He's got so many of these, like, buildings made out of cardboard boxes that he's drawn on, which is so, which is so creative. I know. I like, used I love to that. love boxes. I still love boxes. But <laughs> I was never that creative. I would just get a cardboard box. I'm like, okay, this is the house. I would never draw on it. As much as I claim to love drawing, I never drew on it. And that was the box. <laughs> I was using my imagination. <laughs> I mean, that's what counts. As long as you're using your imagination. This is true. So then Mr. Potato Head, as one-eyed Bart, appears. He is the first toy that appears in this movie. You know, my favorite, and I still say it, I say it to my dogs. I, Whenever I walk into the room, they're just laying there. I yell, all right, everybody, this is a stick-up. Don't anybody move. And the dogs just look at me like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? I think that line might be the most aggressive and loud opening line of any movie ever. (laughs) I think so. It's, I mean, coming from a child, projecting it through a potato, (laughs) that's pretty aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) I like that Mr. Potato Head also has... Like, I guess it's a water gun or something. Duck yes. Like, Just taped, taped to, to his, his hand. hand. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's always been my favorite. I remember I used to have a Mr. Potato Head. And I would try to tape stuff onto his hands. It was a lot harder than what the movie made it look. Mm-hmm. A little offended at that. I'm a little offended that cartoons and animated movies just they give us very high expectations 
And when it doesn't happen, you're just the most disappointed child on earth. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. Cause now that I'm thinking about it and looking at it, cause I've got the, I've got the clip pulled up here. Like there's no way that his arm would be able to stay on with the weight of that gun taped onto his hand. I'm telling you, it's an impossible expectation. <laughs> I feel like we're going to be seeing a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie. Yeah. Toys doing things they shouldn't be able to do. I mean, they're coming to life for crying out loud. <laughs> That's true. Maybe, maybe we can't be too picky about that stuff. <laughs> I think as adults, we notice it now. But as children, it's just the most wonderful thing in the world. It's exciting. It's new. You're like, he's playing the way I'm playing. And mm -hmm. this just makes it so much greater. You try to replicate it at home. You get greatly disappointed in the failed taped attempt. And you're Mr. Potato Head. Mm -hmm. And now, as an adult, I see why. It just defies the laws of physics. After he says, all right, this is a stick-up, don't anybody move, it cuts to a shot of the robot toy, Rocky Gibraltar, the troll doll, a bunch of little tykes, and Bo Peep, and all the ones that can have their hands up have their hands up in the air. <laughs> but like the troll doll's arms are stuck down, and the little tykes don't have any arms. He should have put pipe cleaners on them. <laughs> pipe clear hands but i never i never really noticed that gag before until starting to go go through this clip i never it never occurred to me that like they all had their arms up because he was robbing them <laughs> <laughs> and they're all standing in front of um andy's cardboard bank that he's made and the next two on the left, next to the bank, is the general store, except it's spelled G-E-N-E-R-I-L. General store. <laughs> yes. I mean, at least so, he's trying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, spelling is hard for, like, a however old Andy is, like, six or seven, something like that. I believe he's six going on seven. That makes sense. I mean, spelling's hard for a lot of adults nowadays, too. So I, I'm, he's doing a whole lot better than a lot of adults today. I'm proud of him. <laughs> Let's see. I wanted to talk about a little bit about the actual history behind a few of these toys. First of all, Rocky. So Rocky is, well, his full name is Rocky Gibb. Gibraltar, he is a figure of a former heavyweight wrestler, and according to the Pixar Wiki page about him, he is probably based on the collectible wrestling superstars figures made by Hasbro. He doesn't talk in the movies at all, but he actually does have lines in the Toy Story animated storybook, apparently, the computer game. Which oh. I have. In fact, it's sitting next to me on my shelf here, but I've never actually played it. I've just watched walkthroughs of it because I can't figure out how to emulate it on my computer. Oh, no, that's sad. If you ever figure it out, we can do 
Well, no, I, that wouldn't work. We're too far away from each other for us to do a commentary on it because I wouldn't be able to see it. I'd just be able to hear it. <laughs> Unless we did like a screen share thing or something. Oh, we could do it's, that. It's one where it's not. It's not so much a game as it is like one of those storybooks that you like click on oh, the and stuff and it does things. I remember those. Those were a lot of fun. I used to have a Lion King one. And I think my cousin had another one. I don't remember which one she had, but we would always trade back and forth and play <laughs> each other's games. So that was fun. Next, I wanted to talk about the troll doll. That With lovely his pink little troll hair. Doll. Love that little guy. He's like wearing a bikini of some kind. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's a girl troll. It could be, but don't they all kind of dress like that? I think so. I don't know. I haven't had a troll in years. I I have no idea. I looked up I looked it up on Wikipedia and Wikipedia says that the dolls were first created in 1959 and became one of the United States' biggest toy fads in the early 60s. Um, and this is they became briefly popular again during the 1970s through the 80s and were copied by several manufacturers under different names. During the 1990s, several video games in a video show were created based on troll dolls. In 2003, the Dam Company restored the United States copyright for this brand, stopping unlicensed production. In 2005, the Dam Company modernized the brand under the name Trolls with a Z, but it failed in the the marketplace. In 2013, the brand was bought by DreamWorks Animation with an animated feature film called Trolls being released in 2016 and a sequel released in 2020. I haven't seen either of those movies. I saw the second one, the the World Tour one, whatever it's called. I really like that, that one. That one was familiar. cute. And their Christmas special. Oh, man. That one's one of my favorite things to watch every Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's just so great. I'm like, man, I, I still haven't watched the first one. Everybody tells me to watch the first one. I'm like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. I'm busy watching my Christmas special. <laughs> yeah, I've never had a troll doll. Um, I don't think. Maybe I did, I don't remember, but I remember like friends having them and I always thought they looked a little bit creepy. They are a little creepy, but then they grow on you. For me, I didn't have one particularly purchased for me, but my sister had her old troll dolls. So when I was younger, I would play with her hand-me-down trolls, and they already had, like, matted, wonky hair, and just played with those guys. They needed Buzz to come brush them. Yes, they needed Buzz. <laughs> like, in that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to that soon enough. Yes. Let's see. The next one would be the the Little Tykes, which... I about lost my mind trying to find anything about these because I always thought they were like an older version of little people. I didn't realize they were a totally separate thing from little people. And so I was Googling about the history of the little people toys and was like, 
it was like looking at different things like, oh, the evolution of the designs of little people. And I was like, am I going crazy? Where the, the, this design from the Toy Story movies is not showing up in anything <laughs> I'm seeing about, about little people. And I don't remember how I, but I finally realized uh, that it, that it was a totally different toy. <laughs> I used to have little tykes. When I was little, I used to have a circus or like a carnival playset and it had a little roller coaster it had a little ferris wheel and so it had cute. the little tykes they were like little egg-shaped dudes and you just put them in there and they'd go around it was really cute i had some too and i i had one um i think we had a school bus mm-hmm. that went with them and maybe an airplane well, that's cute. cute. That might have been a little people thing. Maybe. But I think but I think because I also had a lot of little people, that was why that was where the confusion came from because I always <laughs> thought they were called that they were just little people. That is too funny. No, I specifically remember the little tykes because I had that set and that was my favorite thing to play with when I was little. And mm-hmm. I remember specifically those little egg-shaped people because I had one that was so cute. He had a little mustache. I loved oh. him dead because I was like, he looks like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so according to Pixar Wiki, the real life Toddle Tots line was first introduced in the late 80s by Little Tykes. The fire truck was introduced in 1986, though the model used as the basis for the films was a revision from 1988 which substituted the original blue uniform firefighters for ones clad in black. The set came with five figures, four firefighters, and a dog not seen in the films. The rest of the tykes were not based in real-life toys, with the exception of the sailor tyke, which is a different color. And it's got, at least in this shot, you can see there's um, there's a couple of firemen ones. There's one that's wearing a giant cowboy hat. There's one in a doctor outfit with like the little doctor headband. There's one that's wearing like a blue baseball hat. And then another that's wearing like a green, like one of those winter hats with like the ear flaps on the side. Oh, yeah. And then there are a couple more in the shot, but they're like kind of hidden behind other toys and you can't really see them. They're really and cute. There's- I like those guys. They're so cute. I love their little, it's not in this clip, but I love their little fire truck. (laughs) Their fire truck is adorable, and I love that they all just get on top of it and drive away. (laughs) Yeah. So the last toy is the robot, but he's not specifically based on any toy that I know of. He's just kind of like those um, like educational electronic toys that were especially popular like when i was a kid in the mm-hmm. 90s so i feel like i had something kind of like him right i remember having stuff like that too i really don't think he was based on anything specific no. i don't remember ever seeing a specific toy of him so other I really than ones think it made was just, like as merchandise for the movie yeah i think that's the only thing that i've seen if i've ever seen one but previously I don't think I've ever seen a little robot like him. Yeah, he's got like, he's got like, uh, 
a square or I guess it's a square on its side on his chest. And then the square has like an arrow going up and an arrow going down. Mm -hmm. And then he's got uh, treads that he that he wheels around on. And one of them looks like has letters on the tread and the other has numbers. He's pretty cute. He is very cute. I think I've seen maybe one toy similar to that, like with the little treads, but I don't think it was a robot. I want to say it was like not even a tank. It was just like a little car, but it had those wheels. And on the wheels, it had the little imprint. I think it was a Play-Doh something because I remember Mm Play-Doh would come out with a lot of stuff like that so that you could play with the Play-Doh like that. And that may be where I've seen something similar to that. So probably he's just like a conglomerate of a bunch of toys and like, we're just going to stuff it on this robot. You know what? Now that I think about it, he kind of reminds me of Wally. He does. Oh, he's cute. I like him. He's got the treads on his wheels. He's got like kind of a, uh, like a square shaped body. Mm-hmm. And he's got these little short clamper arms. He's like the primordial Wally. He's the ancestor. <laughs> the primordial Wally. <laughs> I mean, that could be considered an Easter egg. It's like, hey, we're going to make a Wally movie in like 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, did you know that the robot from Toy Story is an early version of Wally? That's the rumor that we're going to start now. (laughs) Yes, we shall start this. And you heard it here first, folks. It's Primordial (laughs) Wally. (laughs) Let's see, what is next? I love the line. <laughs> I love the line. Ooh, 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 money, money, money. Yes. When I first got paid, I said that to myself in my head. When I saw it in my bank account, I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh money, money, money. <laughs> and I noticed that um, whenever like Andy talks for for Bo, like has her talk and does like, stop it, you mean no potato, whatever she says. Uh huh. Like the strings in the background. Like start to sound like, like higher and more um, suspenseful <laughs> is not the right word, but it's like more dramatic, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of mirrors, like what, uh, like the emotions that Andy is giving her in the moment, which is I thought was kind of neat. That is cute. That he's. It's funny because he makes her a damsel in distress, but she's very much not a damsel in distress as yeah. her toy self. She's very independent. She's very. Uh, knows what she wants. Yeah. She's basically a girl boss. Yeah, I mean, I feel like she kind of gets the short end of the stick in the first two movies, because they don't really let her do much. And, like, the excuse is kind of that, oh, she's porcelain, she would break, so she can't, like, she can't go rescue Woody or whatever, she's just kind of stuck there, but, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I don't, I don't love what they did with her in the first couple of movies, but she's still a great character. Oh, I yeah. feel like she got her justice finally in Toy Story Four. I think so. I really like Bo. Like when I first saw the movie, I was like, "Hey, there's a girl character." You know, all the little girls <laughs> always want a girl character. So when you see her, you're just like, "Yep, oh, that's my girl right there." 
And then they got rid of her in Toy Story 3. And you're just like, what? what's going on? But I'm sure we'll talk about that more when we get to Toy Story 4. Yes, for sure. Yes. So then uh, Andy has Potato Head kiss the money on the floor. <laughs> That he's like, take it out of ham. And he goes, hmm, ooh, 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 money, money, money. <laughs> and then he shows, uh, he says, quiet, Bo, before your sheep will get run over. And it cuts to the sheep on the, on the orange Hot Wheels track. I love that because at the time, my cousin had an obsession with Hot Wheels. And she didn't like to talk about it too much because kids at her school would make fun of her because she's a girl and she likes hot wheels so whenever she'd come to my house she'd set up all i don't know why her parents allowed her to bring all 87 parts of her hot wheels like setup but they would and she'd set it up and it had the little swirly ramp thing and that's what it would remind me of yeah i my brothers all had a lot of Hot Wheels. I don't remember if we had a track like this, but even though I didn't have any of my own, I don't think, um, I played with theirs, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. I always really liked Hot Wheels. I did, too. I mean, I don't know why. Back in the 90s, they were like, oh, this is a boy's toy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Barbies are girls' toys. I'm like, uh, I have Barbies and I have Hot Wheels. And I stuffed my Barbies in, it was a little, um, my brother had a bunch of Ninja Turtles and he had their van and I would always steal Mm -hmm. his van and I would put my Barbies in there to go to the mall because what better thing does Barbie do but go shopping in a Ninja Turtles (laughs) van? (laughs) So in the background of this same shot, uh, with the the sheep on the Hot Wheels track, you can see Andy's shelf where he has like all of his games and his books, and a lot of those are references. Either the books are references to uh, Pixar shorts and stuff like that, and the games are like actual real games. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should probably wait to talk about those until uh, the staff meeting scene, because that's where you can see it really up close. See everything clearly, yeah. Yeah. And then there's also a bunch of uh alphabet blocks back there and I tried the letters that are showing are U S S G and Q and then there's a couple well I think there's an O at the bottom. It's either an O or a C that's like partly marked partly hidden by the sheep. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a K, but most of it's hidden, so I don't really know. I tried to figure out if those were just random letters or like a reference to something, because that seemed Ooh. like the kind of thing where they would hide some kind yeah, of reference. That does sound like maybe like people's last names and just like the first letter of their last names, but they would have had more letters, I think. Yeah, I guess if anyone knows if those are referencing something, uh, send us an email. Yes, please let us know because we will be racking our brains after this. <laughs> yes. Let's see. So Woody appears over the horizon on the bed. <laughs> and I just want to 
this is Woody's first appearance in the movie, and it's it's a big moment. But I just want to talk about the drawing, Andy's drawing of Woody in the background of this shot. <laughs> I love his drawings so much. Do you know what drawing I'm talking about? Yes, and it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> There's a drawing of Woody <laughs> where he's got a gun and he's blowing off the top of the barrel and then in the corner of the drawing you see a pair of boots laying on the ground <laughs> like he has just shot somebody <laughs> oh my gosh when i first noticed that like i never noticed that as a kid but like when you're watching it later as like an older teen and even as an adult you're just like oh my gosh what is andy drawing <laughs> Like, that is, that's kind of dark for a seven-year-old. I know, but, I mean, at least he's being imaginative. I, I wonder if he ever watched, like, Western shows. Like, maybe he watched Woody's Roundup, or maybe, like, whatever, you know, in their universe Western shows were. Like, maybe he was just a little mm -hmm. cowboy kid. He really liked it. I feel like, though, if he had watched Woody's Roundup, then Woody would have known that he was from Woody's Roundup. Oh, this is but true. But he doesn't know that in the second movie. This is true. So then he did not watch Woody's Roundup. And he probably, if, you know, his parents were into Westerns or something, or if, you know, he just was really fascinated by it, like little kids get into little, like, hyperfixations of what they like, that's probably what happened. Yeah, my my little sister was obsessed with john wayne for years <laughs> as a kid <laughs> watch all of his movies it, she just loved john wayne for some reason i mean <laughs> i don't blame her john wayne movies are actually pretty good i'm not a big western like movie person but i've seen a few john wayne movies and they're not bad so i also i wanted to point out that the the music that happens as Woody is coming over the bed to save the day. It's the same theme that plays at the end of Toy Story 4 as they're driving at, like after he's chosen to stay with Bo. I guess spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Toy Story 4. <laughs> he, after he's chosen to stay with Bo and like the RV after he said goodbye to everybody and the RV is uh is driving away and they're like looking out over the carnival. It's the same, it's the same musical theme. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a bookend for the four, a musical bookend <laughs> for the four movies. That's so interesting. I never paid attention to that. I'm very oblivious when things like this happen. I'm not a good trivia person because I'm just so enthralled by the movie and mostly by the artwork that that's what consumes me. <laughs> well, I also noticed it because I'm a music person and I'm obsessed with movie scores, especially Toy Story's movie scores. So I was like, that's the same, that's the same <laughs> thing, theme from the beginning of the first movie. I mean, this is what makes our podcast so great. I'm just yes. oblivious to everything and you have all the wonderful information. <laughs> Yes, but I like that it's kind of like in the in the beginning, it's him 
like saving Bo, and in the end, it's like they've gone off to be together. That's so sweet. So I kind of wanted to, since this is like Woody's introduction, I kind of wanted to read a couple of things, or at least talk about a couple of things from that same uh, book, the art and making of, of the animated feature, talking about Woody's background and his history a little bit. So actually, at first, Woody was not, planned to be the lead character of of Toy Story, but he was going to be the sidekick of Tinny, the tin toy from the short film Tin Toy, mm-hmm. who wasn't originally the main character. And as the story began to evolve, like they they realized that like Tinny wouldn't work as the main character because there was uh he seemed like too old and like too much of an antique for for him to be, like, Andy's favorite toy. So they decided to make Woody the main character instead and got rid of Tinny. Poor Tinny. I feel kind of bad that they did that, though. Yeah. he was cute, I get where they're coming from. I get that he's not a type of toy that would be cherished for forever. Mm-hmm. Ragdolls. Dolls and ragdolls and action figures are a little more along the lines of something a kid will play with and probably even carry into adulthood as like a trinket or like a memento of their childhood. I still have stuffed animals from when I was a child and I'm probably going to be buried with these stuffed animals (laughs) because I love them so much. But yeah, if it was a little tin wind-up toy, I really don't think that would last very long. Also because they rust. They mm-hmm. get kind of grody after a few years. So I really feel like they went with the right decision to make a rag doll the main focus of the movie and not a little tin figure. Yes. So Woody was actually originally supposed to be sort of a, a ventriloquist dummy, sort of like a Charlie McCarthy type dummy who used to be owned by Andy's dad but then when they when they decided to make Buzz a space toy they thought it would be better to change him into a cowboy and it says uh since it was a buddy picture we wanted the dummy to be the op- the complete opposite of a space toy so we made him a cowboy both genres complemented one another because each dealt with conquering some type of untamed frontier which i thought was a really interesting quote and just like an, a really interesting contrast between the two of them that i'd never thought about before i never thought about that either that is really interesting because you don't think of that that they do both have uncharted frontiers and mm-hmm. both of them are pretty much like explorers. So that is a really nice compliment to each other. And they also have very nice contrasts that one is in the past, one is going towards the future. But even with that, there's certain things about them that are very similar. And I do like that they chose those two genres of toys to you know, complement each other. Yeah. 
There's another quote from this book that was about Woody. Um, this is from Pete Doctor. He said, on the, surf- on the surface, Woody's very loose, very relaxed about everything. He sees himself as Mr. Nice Guy, but underneath he's thinking, who's my competition and what do I have to do to stay on top? And this really fits in with his snarky attitude. Yeah. He is the biggest jerk in the movie, yeah. but he's a lovable jerk. Yeah, like all the, for the most part, all the other toys seem to really like him. I feel like he's one of those people that, you know, they'll do whatever they can to get certain people out of the way, but they do it in such a way that it's like nobody suspects them of doing it. Mm -hmm. Except when he does push Buzz out of the window, everybody suspects it. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he's also the type of person who will say things and, at least in the first couple of movies, he'll say things without like really considering how how they might make other people feel. This is true, and it may it may not necessarily be that he doesn't care. He just doesn't think about it, right? Because in the first movie, I feel like he's more self absorbed mm-hmm. than, of course, when he's in. Toy Story 4, which a lot of people were saying that his decision was very self-absorbed, but I feel like he's the most selfless at that point. Mm -hmm. And he's finally, you know, given everything he could possibly give to all the toys and help them as much as he could. And it's finally his turn and he can finally do what he wants to do. Because the whole right. time, even in the first movie, he's doing stuff for the the benefit of the other toys. Even if, like, in the beginning, he's, like, still kind of a selfish jerk. Like, he's also, he's also, like, a good leader to the rest of the toys. And, like, everyone, everyone seems to like him. Maybe not Potato Head, but everyone else. Mr. Potato Head can see through his facade. He knows who <laughs> he is because Mr. Potato Head is a jerk, too. <laughs> yeah. But getting back to this scene... We just totally went off. Yeah, I might end up editing some of of this out. (laughs) We've been going for an hour and 20 minutes. Oh my god, yeah, for sure. We we could not have have done two episodes. (laughs) We still have 30 seconds left to talk about. What is... uh, I have to listen to this clip from the movie, because I'm trying to remember what the pull string saying is that... He oh, says when he Andy first pulls a says, string. reach for the sky? Oh, okay. That's what he says. He says, reach for the sky. That's right. Because I, and I was thinking about that, and I, like, when I think of, like, Woody's first line in the movie, I think of, pull my string, the birthday parties today. But, uh-huh. like, th- does this technically count as Woody's <laughs> first line? Even um, though it's his pull string? I don't know. <laughs> Technically, you would think it's his first line because it's it's still Tom Hanks' voice. Mm-hmm. But it's not technically his first line as a toy coming to life. Mm-hmm. 
how dare you do this to me? I'm going to be thinking about this all night. (laughs) Yeah, that just occurred to me while I was watching it. I was like, wait, he says something before he says the pull my string line. Yeah, and it's his literal pull string that was pulled. Yeah. But if you think about it, it technically isn't his first line because first lines come out of your mouth that's moving, not a pull string. I guess. So he has two first lines. (laughs) (laughs) I love the shot where he's saying, where he's saying, uh, reach for the sky and then like how they're kind of like slowly zooming out of his face yeah it comes down over the top of his hat like he's like he's an actual sheriff in like some western movie and it's this dramatic shot (laughs) right i know i like that too it's super appropriate for the whole like playtime that's going on to make it feel like you're actually watching a scene in a western movie Mm-hmm. And I like that they did that because as as you're looking at Western movies, they do stuff like that. Like they do like really close up shots of the face and they do like, you know, the dramatic film angles of the time. And you see some of that in Andy's playtime. And I really like that they put that into consideration because it makes it feel more like you're being absorbed by Andy's playtime. Mhm. I really like the I think it it's funny the the voice that Andy does for Woody. <laughs> I'm here to stop you one night, Bart. <laughs> He's trying to be all like a grown-up sounding voice, but it doesn't sound grown-up because he's 6. <laughs> <laughs> It almost sounds like some kind of, like, a kid's idea of, like, a superhero voice. Yes. Like, I'm here to stop you. <laughs> I love that. I love that he gives his characters different voices instead of just one, like, his voice. Mm-hmm. He does actually get into character with his characters, and he actually goes all out for playtime. Yeah, I used to do that, too. I used to do a lot of different voices for my toys. <laughs> I used to do that, too. I used to get into character with my little stuffed animals. And I think a lot of kids did that. I think that's why it's just so fluid in the movie, because every little kid is like, oh, yeah, I do that, too. That's normal. Mm-hmm. And then Andy, uh, what he says, I'm here to stop you when I bark. And then Andy pops one of Potato Head's eyes off. And he he says, Don't, how did you know it was me? I love that. Because it's like, was it a glass eye? Like, in the universe that Andy is creating, is one eye I guess so. Does he not have an eye? Is it an eye patch? Is it like a sticker on his eye? A glass eye? I need to know these things. Well, in, in the opening of Toy Story 3, when he's playing One-Eyed Bart, and they're doing basically this scene with, like, some different stuff in it. Uh, he has an eye patch. Yeah, he does. And so does, I think, Mrs. Potato Head. 
Yes, she does too. I love Mrs. Potato Head. I can't wait till she's actually on screen in Toy Story 2. I can't wait for all the characters that we have to wait to talk about until Toy Story 2. <laughs> I know. There's so many good characters. Like This franchise has just made so many good characters throughout all of the movies. And there's not really a character that I don't like. Mm-hmm. They says, don't, how did you know it was me? And then Woody says, are you going to come quietly? And Potato Head, or One-Eyed Bart says, you can't touch me, Sheriff. I've got my attack dog with a built-in force field. I, too, wish for an attack dog with a built-in force field. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that's like, that's such a kid thing, too, to come up with, even though it's like this western scene an attack dog with a force field doesn't make any sense but it's just his imagination yes and then woody's like well i brought my dinosaur who eats force field dogs (laughs) i wanted to point out though if you look closely at slinky's uh like frozen toy face Mm -hmm. when he's the attack dog like it looks weird it looks it doesn't look like how he normally looks when his face is still like I, I feel like, like his that. eyelids I feel like his eyelids are maybe lower I'd have to like find a shot of um of another time where 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 he's in toy mode to compare but like it seems like his eyelids are lower and he's not smiling like his mouth is just straight See that's Okay, so, I don't like that they do that. It makes me so angry, (laughs) because it's like, are these toys forgetting what they look like? Or is it just an, I mean, I have to assume it's just just an animation error, or like they just figured, or they just at one point like decided to change Or maybe they think it's an Easter egg, and... Pixar is like, haha, nobody will ever notice this. And I'm over here just racking my brain over why a toy would change his face <laughs> and Andy not notice. That makes me very concerned. And then Woody brings out Rex, his attack dinosaur, who who defeats Slinky, the, the force field dog. And then Andy puts a one-eyed Bart and in jail which is just molly's crib with a paper that has the word jail in it like written in crayon i like how she's in jail too i like how he just doesn't (laughs) consider like oh my sister's in jail (laughs) or maybe she's the guard maybe he thought like she can be the guard for the jail so he also doesn't consider how bad of an idea it could be to put a mr potato head with all of his little pieces with into his a baby's baby crib. sister and she's over here just gnawing at his eyeball and she could have swallowed it this could have been the worst birthday ever molly I mean, would have been rushed to the hospital box, ages two and up <laughs> <laughs> he's See, not supposed to be babysitting princess drool he's not really because that is a choking hazard <laughs> yes so we end this clip with Molly picking up Mr. Potato Head and it 
She has just started to bring him up to her mouth. Her mouth is wide open, and she's about to put him in in her mouth and then hit him on the railing of her crib. And that's where we end the first two minutes of this movie. You know, I feel really bad for Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> that's just a horrible way to go. He goes through so much he in does. these movies. He goes through... I think the most, and I think they did it specifically for comedic relief because Mm -hmm. he is a very grouchy man and seeing very grouchy men go through very horrible situations is just comedy. It's comedy gold. (laughs) But I do feel really bad for Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) There's a couple of deleted alternate openings to the movie. Mm -hmm. One is the original opening of the movie they were it was going to be a scene from the Buzz Lightyear cartoon that the toy of Buzz was based off of and it was going to have Zerg but he's a totally different like design of Zerg and voice from Toy Story 2 and it was going to have Buzz defeating Zerg and then it would cut to um it would pan out and you'd see the TV and Andy saying, wow, what a cool show. And it shows like Woody sitting there. And then, and then I think the song starts, you've got a friend in me. And then once they decided that they wanted to open the movie, um, with Andy and Woody, instead, they had a different opening where it was, um, like Andy playing out like a shootout between him and Woody. Where Woody's the sheriff and and Andy, I guess, was playing the bad guy, mm-hmm. and he pretends that like Woody like is shooting him. Oh gosh! Or, like they do that. Um, <laughs> they do that thing where it's like in Western movies where it's like they stand across, they stand like a certain amount of paces from oh, each yeah. other, and then shoot, and then like Andy uh, pretends to fall over from being shot, and he accidentally knocks a face off of a table or something and doesn't see it and Woody and it shows Woody like looking like his eyes are like just darting back and forth like trying to decide or like making sure that the uh like watching the vase about to fall and then when it finally falls he like he catches it he like jumps in and catches it real quick and then right before Andy turns around he goes back to it his uh his toy frozen mode Hmm, that's interesting i think they made the best decision in the whole Mm -hmm. what they chose because those two like they they're good concepts but they don't put like they don't set the scene or the mood of the scene and like the basis of the movie like yeah those could be like parts of the movie but that wouldn't like set the mood of the movie Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think the version that they ended up with is a much better opening and um it sort of set the state sets the stage for like the kind of movie it is Mm -hmm. i totally agree with that because i'm trying to think like where would you go from the point of, you know, Woody watching the show 
to Mm -hmm. the rest of the movie? And then how would you go from Andy having a shootout with Woody and then the base falling? I mean, that one makes a little more sense because it's like you Mm -hmm. get to see Woody come to life. And he's trying to do it without Andy noticing. But that seems more like just a scene of the movie than it does like the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and I feel like with the first one, having Buzz introduced, like, straight away first thing in the movie doesn't work as well as it does as having having his reveal later on when Woody goes up and peeks up, peeks up onto the bed and sees him there. Yeah, I feel like a build-up for that makes it a lot better than to just be like, oh yeah, this is the other character. Yeah, because there's, like, this whole, for the minutes leading up to it, there's, like, this whole mystery of, like, what is this gift that Andy's just gotten? What it, like, what, what is this toy, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and then he's revealed. It creates and a I also, suspense. Yeah, and I also feel like having, in the second version, having him come to life earlier, uh, like, earlier in the movie... Um, kind of make would have made uh made it feel like a little less magical, like when he fully comes to life later. Because mm-hmm. in the in the version of the movie that that we got, we see him for like the first five minutes or so, just as Andy's toy, like frozen, and then when Andy leaves the room, like he moves suddenly on there, and you're like. <gasps> He is alive. <laughs> Pull my string. The birthday party's today. <laughs> I think they did a really good job. Like, they kept it until, like, the most perfect time. I feel like after the credits and everything, that was the perfect time to have him come to life. I agree. So, I guess before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say about about this clip that we watched about these first two minutes. No, I think we really comments. We really touched on a lot of stuff in like the minute and 10 seconds that was actually shown of the movie. <laughs> we even touched on a lot of stuff about the logos. So I think we did pretty good yeah. for our first episode, our first official episode of the movie. Because, you know, the first actual episode our pilot is just our introduction so actually getting into the movie today was pretty great and i feel like we touched on a lot of stuff yes and we've been going for an hour and 40 minutes now so i'm gonna have a lot you have a lot of work down (laughs) (laughs) so i think it's time to wrap it up so i guess i will just say Thanks for listening, everybody, and be sure to follow all of our social media accounts and send us an email if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns. You can send that email to two minutes and beyond at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Don't miss me. <laughs>